G'day, welcome to another episode of Sidekick TV. Today, we're actually joined by a couple of people. So we've got Richard Wheeler, who's a business partner of mine in our Timaru office, and Tom Simpson, who's joining us all the way from Sweden. Now, Richard and Tom know each other really well, so I'll hand over to Richard now to introduce Tom. Yeah, g'day guys. Um, yeah, yeah, Richard here. Um, just like to introduce uh, Tom Simpson. He's uh, he's an old mate of mine from Christchurch. Uh, we used to play a bit of footy together for um, high school old boys back in the day, and uh, got up to a bit of mischief and uh, won a, won the odd championship together. Um, he's uh, been through uh, the whole the, the whole Christchurch experience. Um, got a got qualified and then uh, gone over to Sweden and brought the the pie revolution to Scandinavia, who they, until he turned up, they didn't know what a pie was. So uh, it'd be really interesting to, to hear about that story. And um, basically, you know, and Sweden's actually told, uh, managed things like COVID a wee bit differently than the rest of uh, the world. So it'd be good to hear a bit about that too. So uh, yeah, so Tom, tell us, tell us about your journey from Christchurch to uh, Swedish pie innovator. Yeah, hi, thanks Richard and Rick, thanks for inviting me on. It's lovely to be here. Um, yeah, so Richard and I played together at Old Boys in Christchurch, which is, our, which is, how, which is how we met. Uh, how did I end up in Sweden? Well, I went to Lincoln University uh, and I did a food science degree uh, and then honours and I met my, met my wife that I'm married to now there. Uh, this was... 15, 16 years ago, so, and we got married in New Zealand, lived together there for about five years before we decided to come over and try life in Sweden in 2011, and yeah, two kids later, and um, we started a business together in 2015, um, yeah, so that was how we ended up in in Sweden, in Katrina Holm, which is about two hours out of Stockholm. Yeah. So um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you get a pie company off the ground over there? Uh, you want the short answer or the long answer, Richard? Uh, med the medium answer is fine. Just, yeah, go for it. Uh, yeah, well, obviously, I think it's quite similar to any kind of a startup business where you're doing a new, a new product or a new service in a new country. Um, you've kind of got to test and start. You've got your vision and your idea of what you want to create or what sort of service you want to, want to provide. And then you've got to go out there and test it and make your mistakes and learn your lessons and then reiterate and try again and make more mistakes and alter and tweak and twist and reiterate and over and over and over and over and over again until you find a winning formula. Um, it's a really short answer. Uh, we started off. We started off by. Um, I have. I have. We have our background as food scientists, so we've worked in the food industry, and I worked in a bakery. My, in my family bakery, when I was at high school and at uni, part time, for a bit of cash, and so I had the background. I kind of knew how to do it on a small scale, and um, we we subleased a kitchen which we had on the weekends, and we threw down some money on some, some, some small gear that we could transport to and from. And I had rebuilt my garage into a freezer storage for pies. 
and worked all weekend baking and then spent the week after sort of selling them and quite quickly we were sort of we we had customers in sort of Stockholm and Gothenburg and around Sweden and we were exporting to Finland so there'd be trucks driving down my street like big big freezer trucks driving around this little street in suburban and and suburban Katrina home and like what am I doing here and then I'm like oh I'll grab a pallet of pies you know put it on the back of his truck and he'd he'd drive it off to uh to Helsinki so so we sort of realized very quickly that we needed to get our own production facility and set up our own um our own base it reminds me of um you know I was told years ago the story of um are you an optimistic salesperson or not and I kind of think you know you're selling pies in Sweden and they don't know what pies are it's like um uh, the story of these two shoe salesmen and they went over to the islands and one of them just got there and instantly thought this is ridiculous i'm i'm getting out of here they don't have shoes here but the other guy was like this is amazing no one has shoes here you know we can sell to everyone like what what made you think um it was a. It was more of an opportunity that they didn't have pies, rather than the fact that they did. Yeah, well, that was always kind of my uh, my attitude to it was that they don't know what they haven't got, and um, trying to get them to understand the product uh, was lucky that because they have things they call pies here, and it's not like America. It's um, like a quiche is there is their standard pie. And I mean, they're not, they're not wonderful. Anyone that's eaten lots of quiche will tell you that quiche is, they're not, they're not pies in, in the real sense of the word. Uh, so, but, so that meant that it wasn't, it wasn't a foreign concept. It wasn't like I was saying to them, um, I've got these fermented sheep testicles that I want you to eat. Uh, that would have been a much harder sell. Whereas uh, I could, um, they were all, they were all curious about, oh, this new pie, New Zealand. And, New Zealand does it has a very positive um, has a very positive light. What people look positively on New Zealand as a country, and so we, I decided that the name should be New Zealand Pies from the start. And then, yeah, and then it was the challenge of sort of, and it still is the challenge even today, is is, is trying to say um, we have a pie and it's not the quiche; it's a New Zealand style pie, and then explain and show them what that is and teach them to eat it. You know, you people think that food is a simple concept. Anyone anyone eats food, but the question is, well, how do you eat them? And it's like, well, if you use your mouth, most of the dinner. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Have I answered your question? Yeah, yeah definitely. No, no, that, that's great. So, so, so what, so what um, uh, Tom, what's scale you at now? I mean, you've... Um, You've raised some capital over the last couple of years, and uh, you know you, you've been doing it several years. Where, where are you at with the business? Yeah, so we we started off 2015, and through 2016, we were baking at someone else's commercial kitchen. And then, in the middle of 2016, we found a premises that was newly built and empty, and we started. They started to rebuild that after our after our specifications, sort of towards the end of 2016. Uh, we started baking in the new in the new bakery in 20 at the start of 2017, and then we quickly outgrew the first premises we had. It was just got too small really quickly, and 
luckily the building was really big and we've taken over kind of half of it now. So we've got 800 squares and we've got all that rebuilt. And so there's been, and we've been constantly over the last five years, almost five years, upgrading everything and getting bigger kit, more plants, more staff. So it's been constant investments and same time as building up a brand and investing in packaging and all that type of stuff. And um, so where, where are we at now? Um, when we started off, we were selling most of our pies directly to end customer and also had some customers um, sort of selling wholesale. But then um, over the last sort of two to three years, we've started selling more and more and more through supermarkets, retail, especially through COVID. We, um, the whole of the food service market, which is cafes and bars, just vanished. Literally over the course of a week, it went from all the bars and cafes that have been ordering and been going really good, all, all disappeared overnight. And um, so it was a bit shocking, sort of dropped, we sort of lost $100,000 in turnover in the space of six weeks. It was, uh, that, was, that, was that, 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 that was April um, last year, 2020. So since then we've, we've gone all in on retail, which was our long-term plan anyway, but it was kind of a nudge we needed, you know, so now we we said, okay, we have to focus on this one market. That's what we always wanted to do. So we saw it as an opportunity. Um, so now we're a centrally listed supplier with the biggest supermarket chain in Sweden, um, which is obviously since about a month ago, three or four weeks ago, we um, came into the central distribution network. Uh, so we're just working and growing into that because it's a non-centrally driven supermarket chain so you still have to sell the products into the supermarkets and they order centrally but then you've got to help them onboard customer get them get them selling and it's a real education process you know you're going out and teaching them about the product how to eat it how to sell it how to talk about it um, yeah big job and then so that's just b2b and then you've got the b2c side of it which is even bigger trying to get the the people walking around the supermarkets to choose the products and try them and so it's a big undertaking. So we're right in the middle of that at the moment. Yeah. And going back to, you know, where you were just talking then, like April 2020, it was when most people's world kind of got turned upside down. But over here, we were led to believe that Sweden was just um, a free for all. Uh, there were no restrictions. Um, there were, the you know, it was almost business as usual. Was that the case? I mean, why did all the bars and restaurants just stop ordering overnight? What what actually happened in Sweden that that time? Yeah, well, I'd say it was probably the same as as um, fear is a very big was a big driver of everybody's reaction to the virus. No one knew what it was capable of and how deadly it was going to be, and all you were hearing was about Italy, you know. The full hospitals, you know, in terms of the ICUs, overloaded. So, um, Sweden, Sweden kind of prides itself on being a very evidence-based, rational type of place, and so they didn't really understand what they were up against, obviously. But they didn't throw the whole kitchen sink at it from the first moment. They said, "Oh, we, we want to see what this is before we before we make a decision." It's obviously much harder to lock down a place like Sweden than 
it is New Zealand or Australia because we don't have sea borders. We've got land borders with Norway and Finland and you can drive across from Denmark and, you know, there's a huge area that you can drive across the borders. So you can't just lock the place down. You've got people that commute to work, people that work in Norway and Denmark. And so you can't just lock down because it's, um, people wouldn't, people wouldn't have accepted it here either in the same way as in New Zealand. Um, so the idea was that um, it's always been based on a voluntary sort of um, at the start, which was in the first sort of three months of the pandemic through the Swedish spring, March through to say June was when quite a lot of damage got done. It got into the elderly care homes and, and a lot of elderly people unfortunately got the virus and, and died. Um, that was kind of, Sweden's a very, very, very well-traveled country too. People travel a lot with work and even with leisure, especially in the spring. So there were, there was apparently, there were apparently thousands of Swedes who were in Italy in that real hot area around the Alps around the time where it got in there and spread. And they all came back to Sweden and we didn't even know that the virus was really around then. It was only just coming out. People were still talking about it being a Chinese phenomenon then. But it was already in Stockholm. It was already circulating really early. So we kind of got taken a little bit unawares while I think Asia and especially Asia were a lot more used to, to things like SARS virus and very, 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 very aware of the risk of a pandemic. So New Zealand got good intelligence quite early, I suspect, and were able to act accordingly and um, were able to sort of shut down and Early, we were able to do that here and quite a lot of virus got in. Um, the government, I suppose, made the judgment call that uh, they didn't need to do mandatory lockdowns and keep kids out of school. They're always, they're always uh, mindful of kids going to school. And, um, you know, that's, it's obviously very important here, education, uh, quite rightly too, I believe. Uh, so no, they didn't lock down, um, but there was obviously a cost. I don't know how many thousand died in that first wave, but it, I think it was half of the sort of half around half the men. So the, and the, that was a lot of elderly and, and a lot of people with predisposed health conditions. Uh, um, and then during the summer, with the warmer weather, like all viruses, the spread went down drastically. In summer 2020. July, August, September, October. There was no corona, really. There was nobody in the intensive care departments. It was life as normal, essentially. Um, they've always had these social distancing guidelines in terms of um, keeping, keeping two metres apart and how many people you're allowed to have in a certain, certain area and the ventilation required. So trying to keep the, the spread down. Uh, then the second wave came in uh, in the autumn of 2020, November. It really hit, and it was it was bad. And there was a lot of there was a lot of death through the winter, the cold winter of 2020, 2021. Um, and there were really hard restrictions. So Sweden did change. If you if if you were listening to the Swedish government and how they were talking about the virus, they did change their rhetoric quite drastically. And they had maximum, I think there were four, uh, one person per per table allowed in restaurants. And you were, so 
we got 100 square meters in our little factory shop here and we were only allowed to have eight people in the whole in the whole area it basically shut down a whole shut down a whole industry so the hospitality died um, if you go back to 2020 uh, April March April when the pandemic first hit um, bars and cafes died because of fear people were scared to go out people weren't going out at all so and then that kind of it got better during the summer and then when the, when the second and third waves hit through the through the autumn and winter um, with the restrictions that got put in place uh, then you couldn't run a restaurant or a cafe without either losing money or um, running on the bare bones. Uh, well, and was that, what was the public perception at that time? I mean, were there, uh, was it quite segmented through society? Were the, the more senior people fearful, um, whereas young people wanted to get on with their lives, but there were these restrictions? Or was everyone quite happy and compliant about these restrictions? Mm. I think overall the support's very has been pretty strong from the from the populace, the population. People are pretty people are pretty supportive in the fact that they've tried to keep things open. They haven't they haven't just shut everything. Uh, on the other hand, people obviously don't like being seeing this, you know, fifteen thousand fatality people don't like that number it's not it's not it's not it's not a fun number uh so it's been there have been very critical factions and there's been a lot of debate around should we have been harder should we have gone earlier da, 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 da. Um, and it's understandable uh it's a very difficult virus because of the fact that it can literally you, you can get COVID, and if you if you're lucky, you don't even really get a symptom, and then you can you you might not necessarily be 80 years old and you might be 50, but it can kill you if you're unlucky. Like obviously very unlucky, but um, so it it really divides humans up because some people don't get affected and some do, and humans are already quite divided animals anyway. So you end up with really really polar polar viewpoints and then it's very hard to get people to agree and work together what, what about the um what about the people that uh may have their lives extended because it hasn't been shut down i mean i had a stat today over here we're getting um you know there's, there's nine undiagnosed breast cancer cases a day over here so i mean you know that all those other things that um unintended consequences um that come from this, uh, you, you talked about it earlier around uh, um, outcomes from locking, uh, you know, having lockdowns and, and restricting education on children and their future ability to generate income and and uh, and care for their own future children and those sorts of things. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that what's happening now with uh, what happened during the winter in New Zealand with the RSA virus? Is it yeah. with the with the small babies? We're getting that here now. So that's a that's a classic unintended consequence that we haven't interacted very much and there's been very little spread of um, germs. And and now that we are interacting together again like we were before, uh, there's a huge number huge amount of the RSA virus going around and um, small babies are getting really, really sick. 
Um, mm. So that's kind of the same thing. Uh, yeah, we, we have the same phenomenon here. Unfortunately, the hospital system here, fortunately, the hospital system here in Sweden is very well funded. And they've, they, were able, they, they, they did a, an absolute enormous job in like working for months and months with huge numbers of very, 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 very sick people. And they, I mean, they're the unsung heroes of this whole pandemic, are the people working in the hospital systems around the world. Um, but as a consequence of that, obviously, there have been people who, who probably haven't got elective surgery, people that have needed hip replacements, knee replacements, um, cancer screening, uh, all sorts of stuff, um, haven't had the same level of care that they would have got. Uh, and there will be consequences for that. It's unavoidable. You, mm. And that's yeah. part of the Swedish, I think Sweden's approach, I mean, living in Europe, we've had pandemics since thousands of years back. If you know, you can go back to the, the plague and, and I suppose they tried oh, to take a really, yeah, that's right. So they tried to take a view that they, looking long-term, how's this going to be in two years, three years from now? And I think that's kind of been the problem and that's the predicament that New Zealand's in now is you've, you've, you've handled it very well. I wouldn't say it's, it's been a bad response. So I wouldn't say that, but you're kind of struggling a wee bit now with, uh-oh, like they haven't, they didn't do a scenario, they didn't break down the scenarios and get this as a possible outcome that the virus was going to get in anyway. And they're being forced to go from elimination to living with virus very, very, very quickly. And they're just sort of trying to work that out now. And they're doing a reasonable job. I was quite impressed. I was a bit worried that the government in New Zealand were going to dig their heels in on elimination and say, oh, we're going to beat this. We're just going to lock down and lock down and lock down. But so I'm glad that they've seen the seen common sense and um, um, are trying to move. And hey, hey, and that's a good point, you know, with with politics and um, algorithms and social media. I mean, it's very easy for us to get polarized into one camp or the other. But I mean, you know, from your position on the other side of the world, looking outside, looking in at New Zealand, how how do you kind of see our political system, um, how it performs and that over, over a long period of time, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts? Uh, that's a very big question, Richard. Uh, yeah. I, I think they, I, I think in terms of the pandemic, I think most governments, most people would have made the very similar decision to what the one did make, uh, you'd hope. I, I think they, so fair enough. If, if I lived in an island and could isolate myself, I, I would have done the same thing. Uh, you're talking systemically, aren't you, in terms of how, how I view New Zealand as a society? Yeah, just, just to provide some context, because um, we can get caught into the whole kind of left-right national labour sort of thing. We've had MMP since 1996, but we're not quite Zimbabwe or Venezuela or North Korea not just yet. Not just yet, if you know what I mean. We've, it, it, it's not quite that bad. Or, uh, yeah. So I think New Zealand, it's funny, Sweden's kind of similar. Um, very quick to self-denigrate um, self and say, sort of talk yourselves down. And, but from the outside looking in, um, Swedes see New Zealand in a very positive light. And, they, and so, many, so many Swedes that I talk to say, 
New Zealand's the one country I can see myself living in instead of Sweden. The Swedes in turn are very, very, very proud of Sweden at the same time as they're very quick to talk smack about it and, and say uh, you know, and say it's a bureaucracy and blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, so it's very similar because the way that I see it, New Zealand is very similar in that regard. Yeah. But, but my interpretation is that Corona's been pretty good for New Zealand's uh, image internationally in that there's been a very steady, a very seemingly logical leadership that has taken good decisions and the outcomes have been pretty good too. I mean, you have one death with Corona and it's like a national mourning ceremony, you know? So it just goes to show that you haven't had much in the way of Corona-related deaths yet. So when you've got 100 or 200 or 500 or 1,000 dying a day, you're not having memorials for one death. So, so we're starting to get headlines now. Um, it's going to be in our community by Christmas time. You know, well, Rick and I are in the, in the South Island, so we're probably the last bastion in the, in the world of uh, potentially COVID-free uh, society. I mean, it's probably already here, depending on, you know, there's probably been a boat landed offshore or something, something's happened. Um, but um, yeah, what's it, yeah, what, what's it like running a business now? For you now that you're 18 months on or 12 months on from this thing happening and you've got to get up and go to work and feed your family and and just carry on what how's it how's it work my own personal opinion um throughout throughout this with the virus and how it spreads and is that it's very weather dependent um so during our summers the last two summers there's Life has been more or less very normal, um, in that it's you can be outside more too. So uh, hospitality businesses can open up because they can have it outside, for example. Um, uh, now we're back to normal again in Sweden, so they've taken away all of the restrictions. We've never had any mask mandate here, so it has only been mandates for public transport during the worst part of it. Uh, and not everyone even followed that mandate. I think it was quite, quite slack. Um, so this whole everyone wearing masks, that hasn't been a thing in Sweden. So for me, I can't really say that apart from the first two months of the pandemic when we really were hit quite economically, quite hard, there hasn't been an enormous, an enormous um, effect on my daily life. I can't really say I've been affected and that that's because I haven't been locked down and I haven't had to wear masks and I haven't had guards telling me what to do and where to stand and it's all been voluntary. Uh, so so that's really interesting, Tom. So, I mean, you know, by the sounds of it, Sweden, you are just living with the virus and the although it's had a, a much higher uh, mortality rate than mo you know more common flus. Um, as a society, you've taken it in your stride. Is that would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you, you have to be careful. There are a lot of people that scoff at the virus and and just don't think it's a threat at all. Um, so. You, you should never take it for granted that you won't be badly affected by it. Um, statistically speaking, you're very unlikely if you're younger and healthy to be badly affected by it. That's, that's fact. Um, I don't know of any children who haven't had pre-existing pre health conditions that have been affected by the virus. 
they've had it in my kids' daycare uh, when they were in daycare. Now they're both in school, but it's um, it's been in the school, it's been in the daycare centre, and no one's died. Um, I have had a couple of customers, private customers, older people that have died. So one guy that used to come in, um, uh, this was last year. Uh, it was his daughter that came in and said, "Oh, dad died last week from Corona." So I mean, yeah, I but but. So that's why it's so difficult because not everybody's affected equally by it. So, what about vaccination rates over there? I mean, um, you guys are out of the blocks pretty quickly with your vaccinations compared to here. Um, so, you're, you're vaccinated? Yeah. Yeah. And what's the population? What's the um, uptake over in Sweden with, with vaccinations and boosters? Um, well, they want more, they're always wanting more. Uh, yeah. I think in terms of full vaccination, it's about 66%, and then with one dose, it's like 88 or 89% that had one dose. Uh, the part of the population that's resistant is very stubborn. Yeah, you'll find that everywhere. I think you find that in New Zealand too. The ones that don't want to vaccinate, it's very difficult to get them to do it. Yeah. But by the sounds of it, at the moment that's a relatively low vaccination rate. I mean, two thirds of people vaccinated, that, that's quite surprising that life goes on, you know, and doesn't, right now, I mean, lots of people have had probably the vaccine or the virus. And what are the, what are the daily cases like now? I think, that this has been a little bit, I, do, I think you, you need to look at the cases with a grain of salt, because if it's a whole lot of teenagers that have it who aren't sick, without pre-existing health problems, it doesn't really matter if, if there's 100 cases in that group. Unless, of course, they go and hug their grandparents and give them COVID, because then that would have a very, very bad outcome. But, but um, I think you also have to look at the demographics of, I'm not sure about the demographics of it, but I can imagine that the vulnerable, uh, the sick and the old are probably 95% fully vaccinated. I can imagine, or 99%, I, I, I don't know, but I think it's probably the less vulnerable who are more inclined not to be not to be vaccinated, would be my suspicion, without having any numbers or any facts to go from. Uh, yeah. What was the question again? <laughs> no, no, look, I, I can't remember. Your answer was really interesting, so it doesn't matter. Well, you, Rick, Rick, you're talking about it being two-thirds vaccination rate on, on average across Sweden is, is fairly low. But what Tommy was saying is um, uh, he would imagine that it would be higher and more vulnerable or elderly part of the population, that unverified, of course. But, um, you know, in... It, it, but as you're saying, life carries on. So, uh, but yeah, so, so Tom, you know, part of the team of 6 million, you know, they're speaking on behalf of the 1 million Kiwis living offshore. Um, two questions. How do, how do you think, um, or what do you think, our, where do we go to from here? And uh, when do you think you'll be coming home for a visit? Uh, yeah, I, my feeling on, 
it feels a little bit like the media and the government in New Zealand are being a little bit propagandist or driving a propaganda campaign to incite fear, um, which I can kind of understand because you want people to take the threat seriously and follow orders. I understand that. Uh, at the same time, as I, I don't think that the picture they're painting is really reflected in reality if you look at places like Sweden. Um, and I think that I think that uh, fear can fear can also be paralyzing as well. Um, mm. So you, it's a fine balance. I think they need to be a little bit more a little bit more open about the real threat to everyday New Zealand because I don't think it's equally it's not equal. Um, the threat for kids going to preschool is not the same for the people in the elder care homes. It's not. That's just fact. Uh, they're not saying that though. They're making out that it's same for everyone and we all we all have to take it all extremely seriously and stay safe and all that type of thing uh, i hope they become a little bit a, a bit braver that um it's and to be cynical about it it's probably dependent on what the electorate thinks and, say, and says so if the electorate starts to say we don't believe you anymore jacinda and we don't want this anymore you need to you have to open up our society and we have to open up our borders and move on I think you find that Labour do that because they want to be re-elected. Uh, that's the way politicians look, think and work. Um, so I hope you, that they are here. Yeah. We, we, you're starting to see a few um, instances where you've got church groups and sort of gangs uh, pushing the envelope, of, uh, the boundaries a wee bit, and, uh, and then you've got the, the quite compliant um, uh, part of the community sort of saying, well, it's not very fair and starting to get a bit... But are uh, upset about it, so that those are the sort of creaks is what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Um, uh, what's that? Sorry. Yeah. I didn't answer your question about when I was wanted to come home. Yeah, yeah. When uh, when's that likely to happen? I'll come home when you open the border, Jacinda. And are you going to are you going to have your two weeks in MIQ, or are you going to self isolate, or what's your what's your conditions? Uh, no, I'm not going to do two weeks in MIQ. I'm vaccinated. Why should I be doing MIQ for two weeks? And I'm not paying for it either. I mean, at the end of the day, life is so good here in Sweden that I don't have to rush home. Yeah, but there's that, there's that little thing, just that, that little voice inside you, that feeling in your chest. You just you just need to get back here and uh, and and uh, experience it, don't you? Oh, I don't know, Richard. You know, it'll happen when it happens, eh? You know? Yeah, yeah. You don't need to now. You've got pies in Sweden, so what are you coming <laughs> home for, eh? You can just, you can just stay over there. Hey, thank yeah. you so much, guys. Um, thank you, Tom. That was really, really enlightening to understand what's actually going on over there because. Yeah, we kind of thought for a while that Sweden was the country to watch to see what's happened. And that's been really enlightening. So thank you so much um, for this, uh, for taking the time. Um, probably quite an odd time of day over there as well. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Good to catch up, mate. We'll talk soon. For sure. Cheers.